Hello, Pokeminders! And welcome to our weekly Pokepod, where we discuss everything related to mental well being as well as our journey as a startup. I'm your host, Yusuf. And I'm your host, Sarah. And today, we're gonna poke some minds. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pokepod. Thank you so much for tuning in. Like I mentioned last time, I would like to focus today's episode on workplace boundaries and different strategies to help you dare speak up when you can't cope. Before we dive in, I'd like to say up front that each topic we are talking about can be talked about for hours if we really want to take up everything there is. But the goal in these episodes is to talk about strategies that are more tangible and more realistic to try and apply on your own. So if you're listening and thinking, hey, why did you not talk about this thing? Or why did you not talk more about a specific aspect? It's because we don't want to make the episodes too long and too complicated. However, If you feel like something important was missing or have questions about something we talked about in an episode, we highly appreciate an email to team at pokermind.com. We would love to get your feedback and improve our content. When it comes to setting boundaries, there are a lot of different mechanisms at hand and I'd like to take up some of them separately before putting them into context. How much each of those are influencing you personally varies from person to person. The first aspect I want to take up is long-term versus short-term positive reward and long-term versus short-term negative reward by doing or not doing something. Everything we do, the way we as an individual behave and the strategies we use have a reason. They might not be useful in the long run, or worst case scenario, might even be harmful in the long run, but there's a reason why we do them anyway. And that's short-term release of inattention. The easiest and shortest example I can give you is smoking. Every smoker knows it's bad for you long-term, but short-term, smoking, for every smoker at least, reduces stress, it's a reward for your brain, and it works as a stimulant at the same time as it relaxes. So I need to have a very good reason to give up my short-term reward and focus on my long-term reward instead. So what does that mean for your workplace and you? Most of the time this inattention, let it be the feeling of being angry, frustrated, sad, anxious or overwhelmed, wants to go somewhere. We're all primed to use the option with the least resistance. So let's say your boss comes your way and asks you if you can take on another task. You might already be thinking, why are they coming to me yet again? Why are they not asking anyone else around here? Is it really only me that can do this? They should have a much better eye on all the things that I'm already doing. The list goes on and on. What's the immediate choice that you have? You can say yes or you can say no. What do you get from saying yes? The short-term positive consequence is that uh, you will be seen as a good employee and, of course, you get your boss off your back without any conflict. Problem solved, short-term at least. The long-term consequence uh, might be that you're going to feel overwhelmed, 
stressed and frustrated. And you might even start feeling anxious the minute you just see an email from somebody. So what do I get from saying no? Short-term negative consequence might be feeling like a bad employee that can't do the things they're asked to do. You get faced with your own vulnerability. These thoughts of, I can't do more, might be feeling guilty due to that, feeling like a failure. The list goes on and on. And of course, the risk of a conflict with the other person in that scenario, the boss. Yeah, absolutely no one wants that. Why would you ever say no? Just say yes, you'll figure the rest out later. (laughs) Obviously. Yeah, so why would you ever try to find a good way to say no? Well, the negative long-term consequences are causing you harm, physically and or psychologically. And there are also positive long-term consequences. Hopefully having a workload that you can cope with, feeling accomplished for standing up for yourself, better relationships with the people around you, at home and at work, a better work-life balance, because stress is something that is seeping into every single little aspect of our lives. But granted, to overcome the short-term negatives are hard. They're really, really hard to overcome. And unfortunately, there's a very simple, almost banal reason why you might get slammed with more tasks than others. Everyone takes the way with the least resistance, especially when we're stressed. It becomes harder and harder to see how the people around us are doing. The more stress, the more tunnel vision. Which is why it can be hard for us to recognize that one of our own colleagues might need help. And if there's somebody that takes stress away from us, we will use that outlet. We are all in our own little bubble and sometimes can't see what's in front of us. But the good thing is, most people are not deliberately evil and do things that burn you out on purpose. Of course, there are always exceptions to the rule and it's horrible if you find yourself in that situation. And I also want to emphasize here that I'm not saying that what you're thinking or feeling is wrong. Maybe your boss should have a better eye on your tasks or your colleagues should recognize what you're doing. But the fact is, they don't. And the situation will most likely not change without any change from within you. The next mechanism I want to talk about that strongly affects overcoming those short-term negative consequences are cognitive distortions. I will only mention briefly what these distortions can look like. If you want to learn more about them, I highly recommend that you check out Pokemon's blog that our lovely Maria has taken care of. So what are common forms of cognitive distortions? We have all or nothing thinking black and white thinking. Uh, An example could be uh, a friend disagrees with me on one topic, so we can't be friends anymore. The next one we have is overgeneralization. So all of those thoughts that start with always or never. Another one we have is mental filtering, focusing on the negative. And what that means is that it can be really easy to start looking for the things that aren't working and unconsciously ignoring the things that are working. Think Murphy's Law. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. Another distortion can be disqualifying the positive, a 
achievements don't count. For example, you get a perfect score in a test, but that just means you got lucky. Next on the list is jumping to conclusions. Uh, for example, if I say that I need more time to finish a task, my boss or my colleagues will be angry and think that I'm lazy. Emotional reasoning, arguments that are guided by emotions. Um, for an example, I feel like other people around me work more, so I need to push harder to keep up with them. Or I feel like my work has become meaningless, so it probably is meaningless. A different cognitive distortion can be labeling and personalization that you identify with your flaws. This is basically another form of overgeneralization directed to yourself. Uh, so you make a mistake and think, I can never do anything right. Personalization and blame shifting, taking things personally. An example here could be, oh, my colleague didn't say hi to me this morning when passing by. I must have done something wrong to make them angry. Another distortion is called confirmation bias, selective perception of reality. We look for information that fits our narrative. We all do this to try and make sense of the world. I think everybody knows the term by now, staying in your own bubble. And last but not least, we have should statements, the burden of unrealistic expectations. This is a very common one in work situations. Things should or shouldn't be in a certain way. And those statements can apply to your surroundings. My boss should or shouldn't be in a certain way. My colleagues should or shouldn't act in a certain way. Or they can be directed to yourself. I should be able to deal with this. I should be able to cope. I shouldn't feel this way. And the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> Cognitive distortions appear everywhere in our life. And most of us can identify several different distortions. So far, when I talk to clients about their work situation, they all could identify with should statements, which is why I will focus mostly on them today and only talk a little bit about the others. Of course, as always, exceptions make the rule. So step number one, don't should all over yourself. That applies not just to the current situation, but also to you. Things should be different, but unfortunately they're not. And that sucks. A big and hard first step is to recognize and accept the facts. Once you stop shooting all over yourself and accept the situation as it is, you have mastered a big first step of finding a way that might work. A common should statement I heard regarding one's surroundings is my boss should know how much I can handle. My boss should look out for me more. My colleagues shouldn't come to me every minute they run into a small problem and want me to fix it. They should be able to figure things out themselves. And then there are those should statements regarding yourself, which might be even harder to accept and overcome your own self-critic. Those thoughts, I should be able to handle this. This is important, so I should be more invested. Even if all those things were true, if there's a should in there, it might be a good time to reassess the situation. Don't should all over yourself. Try to take a step back, and I'm well aware that that's a lot easier said than done. 
it might help to write down or visualize in any other way what it is that makes you feel like your boundaries are being crossed and that you can't cope. Why do people seem to turn to you so often? What gives you the impression that you should be able to cope with your job? How do you end up with more tasks than anyone else? What gives you the impression that others might be able to work more than you? Are the goals you're setting yourself realistic? It can be really hard to recognize and accept your own quote-unquote shortcomings. But the good part is that once you dare to recognize them and start to interact with them, there's a really good chance you realize most of them are not shortcomings at all, but rather your own anxiety driving you. And even if you're proven right, only then will you have a chance to find a better solution. To give you a very radical example of what I mean by that, imagine a person recognizing symptoms that could indicate cancer. You don't react immediately because it's reasonable to think that it could be something harmless and it might go away on its own. That's a perfectly reasonable and healthy approach. But now these symptoms persist for weeks or months and the worries and anxiety grow larger every day and starts affecting all areas of your life negatively. You can face your fear and find out if the thing you are afraid of is true or not. But sometimes this fear can grow so big for some that they rather stay in a state of fear because that way they can also remain in a state of the unknown, a state of bliss where things might just go away on their own. So why bother? It's a normal and human response that we don't always want to know and rather choose to remain in a state of underlying anxiety. After all, we've been living with that one for a while now and it's been kind of working. So why change it when the alternative could mean something really horrible to us? So back to work. What if it turns out I really am lazy? What if I really am stupid? What if my colleagues or my boss are not making unreasonable demands? What if I'm just not passionate enough? What if I'm not capable to work as much as others? What if my tolerance to stress is lower than the average person? What if my idea isn't great enough? Those are a lot of questions we don't always want an answer to. It might be more comforting, short term, to stay in that limbo-ish state where things should be different. And that's not being stupid, that's being human. If you're a cynic, you might even say, excuse me, those two are the same thing. Fair enough. Back to our example. Going to the doctor to get some clarity might either give relief because you faced your fear and realized you don't have cancer or your worst fears have come true. But then, and only then, will you be able to figure out what you can do about it. So how can you challenge your thoughts and anxiety at work? Start by identifying your distortions. Check the facts. For example, are others really working more than me? One way to test that theory could be to ask one of your colleagues that seem to have it all under control. Your first response might be right now, I can't do that. And I would like to answer with this question. 
would you get offended if I came up to you and said something along the lines? Damn, when I see you at work, you seem to be so organized and keep you cool in stressful situations. Could I ask you how you do that? I feel a bit lost right now and I don't really know what I should do or how to prioritize and I'm all over the place. Yes, I will need to admit to my weakness, but how high would you say are the chances for the following outcome? You will give me some good advice or offer me help. You will tell me maybe that you are just as lost as me, making me feel less alone about my situation. Or will you tell me that I should stop asking stupid questions and get my shit together? In that scenario, you're not just checking the facts, you're also using a method called the double standard method. We tend to criticize others less than ourselves, so it can help to reframe the situation and think about how you would react when someone approached you. Check the facts about your own expectations. I'd like to quote Marie Curie here. One never notices what has been done. One can only see what remains to be done. Reflect over the things you have done in the past week or past month. Ask yourself if that is a pace that you can continue. Another way to overcome distorted thinking and start to set boundaries is by testing reality. Imagine yourself conducting behavioral experiments out in the field. For example, something I've heard quite often is clients telling me that they uh, say yes to tasks in meetings, even if they don't want to. Uh, a common one is frequently getting ambushed by others in, in a group, and the only acceptable answer seems to be to say yes in that situation, even if you later might find yourself thinking, why me again? So an experiment could be to prepare for that kind of situation at home and have a different and reasonable answer ready to use when the moment comes up and then focus on the reaction of the people around you. Are they reacting the way you thought they would? If not, how did they react? A possible answer to prepare could be something along the line. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know right now. But could we talk more after this meeting to discuss in detail? Or could I get back to you on that after I check my schedule? I want to make sure I get it done in time. Another meeting situation I often heard about in sessions are these kinds of open questions. Who has time to do this? And either you directly say yes, or you say yes after a while of uncomfortable silence. That one is actually quite fascinating and amusing to me because this is something you train with as a psychologist since it's important to be able to sit with your client's anxiety, staying with the feeling and not breaking the tension just because you want the feeling to be over. There are therapy methods where the practitioner isn't speaking at all in the beginning of the session and waits until the client just starts talking about whatever comes up in their mind. In therapy, you call that the silent approach. So an experiment for you in that situation could be to recognize the impulse to speak up and sit with that feeling instead of acting on it. And why do I want you to prepare answers or plan for experiments at home? To help you set a goal on what you want to do and give you a chance to shift your focus away from your anxiety 
and away from yourself and towards your surroundings. The other reason being, you don't rise to the occasion, you fall to your highest level of preparation. It is really difficult and not fun to challenge your fear. Trying to wing it makes it only harder. Long story short, all these strategies have one common denominator. That is to stay with that uncomfortable feeling, embrace it, accept it, and seeing it as valuable information that something doesn't work out. And then again, exposing yourself to that tension that arises when you try to act differently from your usual behavior. It is an ongoing work in progress and expect to get sidetracked along the way. That's okay. For today, I would like to leave it at these tools. Like I mentioned before, I could talk for hours on end and each individual situation is different. So it's unfortunately impossible to take everyone's aspect into account. But I do hope that the things I talked about today make sense and are relatively easy to apply. Before I round up today's episode, I would also like to say that every behavioral change is a work in progress and kind of like training for a marathon. And depending on where you start, you will take longer to reach your goals and it's okay if you don't always succeed. Even though I know about cognitive distortions, I still have them from time to time. It's not about never having them. It's about recognizing them when they appear and work with them in a more productive way. My own personal favorite is when being asked to do something that is reasonable. Uh, I love to set deadlines that no one asks for. Like I find myself saying, sure, I get on this today. Not really having any time and suddenly the day is over and I haven't really gotten around to doing everything I said yes to. But also no one besides me said I should do it today. So why do, why do I do this? So yep, I keep practicing on not setting deadlines when no one else is asking for them. If you want to read more about different strategies and get a more detailed version about cognitive distortions and how to challenge them, I want to promote Maria's blog one more time. It's a really good read. And in the next episode, I want to talk more about work-life balance and some key aspects in your life that you should keep an eye on to better maintain your overall well-being. Thank you so much for listening and we hope we poked some minds today. See ya!